Jones International. Lovely to have your company. Uh, we have Wade Jackson and Sarah Sparks with us this afternoon. Uh, now, uh, tractors took to the roads today as part of a nationwide protest against, uh, organised rather, by Groundswell. The farmer advocacy group opposes the government's emissions pricing scheme plan. Uh, Brian Tamaki of Destiny Church, he joined today's Groundswell protest at the Auckland Domain. It's called the We're Not Going to Take a Protest, lyrics taken from the great glam metal band Twisted Sister. And with us to discuss is Bryce McKenzie. He's the co-founder of Groundswell. Bryce, kia ora. Very nice to have you on the panel this afternoon. Okay, thank you. Good turnout? Yes, pretty good turnout. I mean... We had eight days that we put this together, and it's a busy time of the year for farmers, so we just weren't sure how many would turn out, but very pleased with the numbers. All right. Now, Bryce, we're not going to take it. Tell us, what aren't you going to take? Okay. We're not going to take the fact that um, we're the most efficient food producers in the world now, and we're being told to sacrifice a quarter of our production so that that can go offshore and be picked up by somebody who's not as efficient as us for a, a greenhouse gas uh, overall uh, gain um, and, and not actually being any use to climate change. Here's the deal, Bryce. The submissions plan, Hewaki Ekenoa, you guys were around the table. Wasn't it done with you? It was done in consultation with the likes of Fed Farmers, NZ Beef and Beef and Lamb. You were around the blimmin' table. No, we weren't around the table. Yes, the you farmers were. were. Oh, yeah, those organisations were, but uh, they're run by a board, and they didn't consult farmers when they put Eggwaka Ekanoa together. What they did was they put it together and then went back to try and sell it to farmers. They were never a part of the original uh, consultation process. Now, uh, the, the fact of the matter is, Bryce, that, and we've got a panel here, that we all have to now um, pay our way, each and every one of us, with regards emissions. Half of greenhouse gases come from you guys. We're causing more extreme weather. You guys know this. Farmers are on the front line of drought, of fire. You know all this, and you need to pay your own way. Oh, no, you need to do your homework on that. David Frame, who is a scientist, came out no longer ago than last week and said that the, the um, working out on methane is totally wrong. And that's no, no. Yes, they are. They're 400% wrong. You look up David Frame's latest finding, and it's there in black no. and white. No, 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 no. Bryce, half of the greenhouse gases come from agriculture, and you need to be bored into it. It's been, you, you, you've been waylaid for years. Sarah, what do you reckon? Well, no, I think wrong. I've been looking at this because, uh, you know, I'm a farmer's daughter. So I hear the, the uh, and see the pressure on all the different levies that farmers are, are paying. However, I'm also um, Pang the Whenua and I feel very, very passionate and protective around Papatuanuku. We are in the middle of a climate crisis and we do need to change our values. Yes, uh, we need to be working on our readiness in terms of collectively the farming sector um, and I thought it was very good and very pragmatic that there was a partnered um, 
planning uh, scheme to put uh, Hewaka Ekino together. Um, yes, there are issues around uh, resourcing. Uh, however, I believe that we've got to do something, and 2025 will be here before we know it. Bryce? Oh, look, look you tell me how collecting a, a levy is actually going to help uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions. You tell me how that's going to work. Because all it is is a tax. There's no uh, way that it's going to help greenhouse but gas as I emissions. said again, every other, sec- every other sector now is uh, being asked to pay its way around climate change. It cannot be ignored, Bryce. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's extraordinary that we've got this document. You guys were around the table, and here you are saying you don't no, want any part no, of it. No, 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 farmers weren't around the table. There were some levy industry bodies around the table, and they never consulted with farmers until Heatwaka Ekenoa was fi- uh, in its final draft. And right. they tried to sell it to farmers. The other thing is that farmers actually can win on this easily. All we have to do is plant a quarter of our farms in trees and live off the um, carbon credits. Now, you tell me how that's going to help uh, food supply in the future. No, no that, is that is acknowledged as a little bit of an issue that uh, does uh, have to be worked out. But let's bring Wade into it. I was going to say, planting trees, that sounds terrible. Um, yeah, but that's the, way it's, <laughs> that's the way it's set up. That's but exactly the way it's set up. Plant right. trees. Bryce, if, if, you, if, you, if your representatives were around the table and then try to come back and sell it to you, then I suggest you get new representatives. I, I like would a, agree with like you 100%. Thing. I'd agree with you 100%, and most farmers in New Zealand would agree with you also. They think that we've been let down badly. Very, very good, Bryce. Well, look, um, uh, uh, what's next for you? I mean, what's for you, what, what for you? I, I just want to know, I guess, if you don't want to be part of this Hewaka Ekenoa, you don't want to be uh, coming to this uh, framework. Again, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, we want an integrated farm plan. We want something that's not... What does that to... mean? Well, that means that we've got so many issues in farming right now that you could pick on any one of them. SNAs, uh, Indigenous biodiversity, um, wetlands, uh, um, wahi tapunas. There's so many things there, and they all need done in one act, along with how we're going to deal with emissions. And just... Taking a, doing them all in a silo actually doesn't mean that we can do anything about it. It's just going to be different uh, single silos in each area and they won't mean anything because farmers can't keep up with them. All right, Bryce, oh, thanks for being with us. Uh, that's Bryce McKenzie, the Groundswell uh, co-founder uh, there and uh, that was part of the nationwide protest uh, uh, across the country. 13 past for the panel, Sarah Sparks and Wade Jackson uh, with us. I saw someone leaving that protest and I had to have a little chuckle with a sign because the sign just said, fart tax stinks. And I thought, that's good old Kiwi comedy right there. It's kind of back to the future, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> can, can, is, was it, was it the Shane Ardern, or the person who drove the tractor up uh, the steps of Parliament all those years ago? Oh. Anyway, thanks for your feedback. Well, a lot of feedback coming through on that 13 past four. And today marks the 50th uh, anniversary of ACC and the Minister Kama Stapaloni has announced new legislation that will improve the system's approach to women, Māori, Pacifica 
and disabled peoples. She said a new framework would be used to review the list of job-related illnesses ACC covers, taking into account gender and how diseases impact different population groups. So for thoughts on this, we have partner at Armstrong and Thompson, Ben Thompson. And Ben specialises in ACC and employment law. He's with us. Uh, Kia ora, Ben. Kia ora. How are you? Good. Has ACC until now been fit for practice? Well, that's an exceptionally broad question, I think. <laughs> um, look, for a broad answer, look, I've practised in personal injury law here and, and for some years in the UK, where they still sue each other, of course. And very broadly speaking, yes, I think ACC hasn't gone too badly. There's certainly several areas where they can improve. Um, so not 100% pass, Mark. Yeah, um, I know, and... I, I, it's almost not a fair question because it's such a broad question. <laughs> and I'd love to know the panel and also uh, across the country, what were your experiences of ACC? <clears throat> Me personally had nothing to do with it uh, until last year when uh, through a cycle accident, Ben, my wrist mm. was smashed and too significant to do at the local DHB, had to go to a specialty clinic, ACC, just personal, personal, kicked into gear, very good system. Yeah, look, if, with accidents like yours, if you have a clear accident, you come off your bike, if you fall over and break your leg or something like that, yeah. excellent. You will, that will kick in. There's no question right. that you have an injury caused by accident. It's the things around the fringes. It's the, it's the gradual process injuries. It's, it's issues where you've got um, a person who's of an age and they have degeneration in their back and they suffer a back injury at work and it's unclear which is the cause of the ongoing problems. It's those sort of areas that we see often in our practice, um, and which I guess is relevant to what the government's announced That's right. today. Yes, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I welcome uh, system change, particularly that addressing equity and diversity. And the reason I say that is... Um, I'll declare that I'm involved in uh, a claim in the Watsangi Tribunal around Māori and home care and the system, the way that it's set up at the moment, provisions for big players. And I guess, you know, strategically back in the day at the time, uh, you know, when the decisions were being made, they were looking at economies of scale. But, you know, for tangata whenua and for those diverse, smaller cohorts in the collective, they are not served, and I do know, particularly around ACC, home care for disabled whānau, you know, beyond the North Island and the South Island, there aren't many choices, if any, of a whānau being able to, to choose a Māori service provider. Um, wow. So the system and the way that it's been engineered needs to be changed, and so it's great that Minister Sipoloni has identified that uh, and is tackling that. It cannot happen soon enough, in my humble opinion. Ben? Well, I, I find it hard to disagree with any of that, to be honest. Yes, we know that um, Māori and Pacifica are overrepresented in injury statistics um, and in occupational disease statistics. And so I would, I would affirm um, uh, that, that any change to improve those stats is, is a welcome one. Wade, have you rubbed up against ACC? I have a few times, uh, mostly positive experiences. One, one not so. I had uh, lifted something heavy and had a hernia, and they said, it sounds like one of those cases, kind of around the fringes. It's kind of like, mm. well, that was an accident, but sorry, no. Uh, so there's no support there. Um, but the thing I don't like about ACC is mainly that uh, 
as a, as a business owner, I pay ACC, and I'll get a uh, an invoice from ba- or a letter from Baycorp, and they're saying like uh, you haven't paid ACC, and it's like well, I haven't had any invoice, and you have to spend hours on the phone, and you find out that they sent it to an address you lived at twenty years ago, and I think well, if Baycorp can find me, surely ACC can as well. So some of those systems and processes and, and their customer service has just right. it's been horrific. So, so the, the, also the list of diseases will be revised, won't they, Ben? So giving an example, an example of a work-related gradual illness listed in Schedule 2 would be lung cancer or mesothelioma diagnosed mm-hmm. as caused by working with asbestos. So um, mm. that, this list will be revised, it'll be updated, be more relevant. Yes, and we would certainly welcome that. So what the list you're talking about is contained in Schedule 2 of the legislation. And what that list is, it's a list of diseases that are known um, in the scientific community to have a link to certain occupations. And what that means for claimants is that the route to cover under the ACC Act for those particular diseases is much, much easier. Um, Normally for a gradual process, you have to go go through a three-part test, which is quite onerous quite onerous, sorry, but for Schedule 2 diseases, you don't. You just have to show that you've worked and you've had an occupation that has this particular form of exposure. Uh. And if you can do that, then you're assumed assumed to be a causal link between your exposure and the particular disease. So the onus then goes on to ACC to disprove it if they can, but it's a lot easier for the claimant to get into the scheme. Good on you, Ben. Kia ora. Thanks for being with us. That's Ben Thompson, uh, who specialises in ACC uh, from um, Strong and Thompson. We're with uh, Sarah Sparks and Wade Jackson uh, this afternoon. Big response regarding that interview with a groundswell. We'll um, chuck some of that in the Friday mailbag uh, tomorrow. But to this, traffic, the subject dear to Aucklanders. It's the first thing we talk about after we wake up. I wonder how the commute will be today. Is it raining? Oh, no. Mayor Wayne Brown, he wants a change, right into Auckland Transport, quoting, you appear to have been focused on changing how Aucklanders live, using transport policy and services as a tool. Instead, AT must seek to deeply understand how Aucklanders actually live now, how they want to live in the future. And he's also going to be launching a clean-up Auckland programme to get rid of unnecessary road cones and road closures. Senior writer for the New Zealand Herald, Simon Wilson. He covers Auckland issues. Kia ora, Simon. Kia ora, Wallace. So he wants to understand, he wants 80 to understand how we actually live now. How do we want to live, Simon? <laughs> how we live now and how we want to live. And they're not the same thing, are they? Now, well, we I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, you're confused. How do I want uh, to you know, live? <laughs> there are... There's, one way to read what Wayne Brown has told Auckland Transport, asking for a complete rethink, is that he's signalling to them that he wants them to stop all this nonsense about uh, encouraging people to use public transport, walking and cycling, and, and therefore uh, no more priority bus lanes, rip out the cycleways, rip up the speed bumps, restore the uh, old higher speed limits. He didn't you say know, that. Everything to... He didn't say any of that. He hasn't. Now, he hasn't said any of that. Many of the people, if you go on social media and look at the support he's getting, many people think that's what he's saying. He hasn't said any of that. Um, But in calling for a rethink, um, he's either signalling that's what he really wants or he's engaging in a kind of performative exercise, uh, signalling to his base 
while at the same time uh, recognising that actually none of that can happen. Well, hang on. He wants clarity. That's what he wants. I mean, the, the, you had the chair of bike walking this morning saying, supporting the new approach, saying yeah. that on bike lanes, he just wants clear rules. Communities yeah. to get involved. Be part. You've you got your, um, what's that, um, Grayland, Western they call it, getting more clarity around the process. Yep, yep, so communities should be involved. That's an excellent idea. What people want, uh, how people live and what people want. Of course, people want safer roads. People want their kids to be able to get to school easily. Uh, They don't want congested roads. The big reality of it is that there is only one way in which we can manage congestion in Auckland or anywhere, and that is by managing the number of cars on the roads. And Auckland has the evidence for that already. We know that since the Northern Busway was put in um, from the Harbour Bridge running north through the North Shore, uh, the number of cars on the Harbour Bridge uh, in peak times hasn't significantly risen. But the number of people on buses has grown enormously. We know that can work, and that's the way you manage growth. Okay, congestion, Um, that's 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 the biggie, because that's what we hate hate being stuck in traffic. We've both got two Aucklanders in the uh, studio with me. Sarah, how do you want to live? Well, I was just thinking to uh, what Simon was saying, because I'm a walker and I'm a cyclist and I do use public transport. I do have a waka as well. Um, But it's not so much about the what. I think the disconnect here is about the how. How is this going to impact our community? Um, And there always seems to be uh, issues with community engagement. So whoever's doing the policy and and the strategic design actually understands different intergenerational cohort groups have different needs with regards to transportation. What does that look like? And how does it work for them? And I think that that sometimes is the missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle when we're trying to resolve complex issues like this. For and It is about shifting an evolution into a future, you know, a change. Um, and that's what, that's what Mayor Brown is saying, isn't it, Simon? Basically, we can't all ride e-bikes like you. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I, 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 I remember the, the moment on the campaign trail in this mayoral election where in, uh, a, a woman came up to me after the, the candidates had all made their speeches and she said, look, Simon, you cannot, I'm 83 years old and you cannot expect me to ride a bicycle. Uh, and she's right. Of course I don't. Nobody expects her to ride a bicycle. Uh, the issue isn't that everybody has to ride bikes or catch buses or trains. The issue is that for all the people who want or need to drive a car, if it's going to remain and become more functional for them to do that, we can't just assume that that's the only thing we build for. You can't just keep building more roads and expect that, which of course is the policy that has created congestion. You can't expect that if you keep doing that, somehow at some point you're going to not have congestion. Wade, how do you get around? Uh, How did you come here? I Ubered. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So, I, but also, I don't necessarily think that uh, eighty-three-year-old should be behind the wheel of a car either. But maybe give her, maybe, maybe give <laughs> I her a lime scooter. I wouldn't have that discussion with her. <laughs> right, give her a lime scooter, mate. She'll be fine. Um, yeah. So, I know. I just, I think uh, more, more public transport, uh, more cycleways is that. I, I only started cycling a few years ago, and I just, it just opened up a whole new Auckland to me. I couldn't believe um, how well right, Auckland was it? was connected. It was just amazing. Tell you what your, tell you what the problem in your area is. And your area, um, uh, Sarah, Mayor Brown's right on this. Too many road cones. 
<laughs> There's too many road cones. And, and, and he is going to be launching, Simon, a clean-up Auckland Pro. He's listened to the people of Tamaki Makaurau and he's getting rid of unnecessary road cones. You talked about so, this. So on your... you, are you aware of, have you got an example? Do you have somewhere where you think there are too many road cones? Where do I start? No, but the where, where the heck do cones, I start? Road cones are a symbol of progress, the same as cranes in the sky. They mean that something has been fixed or developed or grown in some way so that it will serve us better. Yeah. Road cones are safety devices for the people working there and for the people who are everyone else in the vicinity, and they indicate that we've got progress happening in the city. If we did not have road cones, we would be in a terrible state. I think those road codes are like breeding. I think they're kind of little breeders and they create more and more of them. We will put that out to tender that idea. Simon will get responsible on that. Simon Wilson, kia ora. Thanks for your time there. Yeah, thanks, do you What do you think about that? Do you agree or do you not agree that road cones are a sign of progress? Text me, 2101. You're, you're looking... You both look shocked. You can't argue that they're, they're a sign of um, that they're a sign of uh, safety for those working. But is it progress? Uh, yeah, like, don't I'd sound like convinced. So. All no. right, it takes me two one zero one. Anyway, to this, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand says the property manager industry needs better regulation. It's estimated about forty percent of rental homes are managed through a property manager. The Real Estate Institute is calling for the government to introduce a raft of measures to better protect landlords, tenants, property managers. The Institute's Head of Property Management, Joe Ray, is with us. Joe, kia ora. Kia ora. Tell me something. Are property managers regulated at all, or is it a bit of a free-for-all? It's a little bit of a free-for-all at the moment. So you have those who voluntarily upskill, but there is no formal requirement to have ongoing education and training and no specific qualification you need to have to enter the market. That surprised me, actually. That actually really surprised me because I can imagine another, I think Australia, there is a regulation around uh, property managers and considering how um, important the role of a property manager is, Joe. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, in Australia they have a large percentage of their investment properties under professional property management. And I think that's because they are ahead of us in terms of regulation. I mean, they even have laws where if a private landlord has been um, found to have committed an offence under their Tenancy Act more than three times, they have to appoint a property manager. So they're ahead of us in terms of how they operate. What are the risks of not having a competent property manager? Well, I mean, I I guess the big thing is you are collecting sometimes millions of dollars in rent and you are holding it in trust. And if there's no checks and balances with that, um, there is an opportunity for fraudulent activity. So that's one of the concerns. The other one is our Residential Tenancy Act has undergone many changes in the last three years. And and honestly, unless you're someone that is keeping up to date with those changes on a regular basis, it is incredibly hard to stay ahead of the changes and not make a mistake. Yes, such as the such as the churn of legislation, isn't it? And new rules. Wade, your thoughts? I'm, I'm all for uh, upskilling training and having property managers who know what the heck they're doing. No, full no, stop. No, no argument. Yeah, full exactly. Stop. Full stop right there. <laughs> Exclamation uh, mark. Yeah, Sarah. Uh, 
you know, I agree that there needs to be um, checks and balances because <clears throat> not only for people that are actually own properties, obviously, with regards to the money at stake, uh, but also for tenants because they they act as a balance between making sure that tenants have you know their heating and and um, the property is compliant because how many woeful stories have we heard about um, tenants living in in shocking circumstances you know while landowners are profiteering so uh, I think it's a good thing for both sides of of the equation. Um, and, you know, I've got to say that I've been very impressed in my time with different property managers that I've dealt with um, okay. who have been very, very good. You know, but I notice that they are all uh, registered, oh. um, registered agents that have gone into property management. Joe. Yeah, I mean, what, what we would really like is a licensing regime like um, salespeople have. So you have to have a license. You have annual um, education and training that a portion of it is compulsory. I mean, the reality is, regardless of who's managing the property, a tenant is entitled to a certain minimum um, standard of service. It doesn't matter whether it's a private landlord or a property manager. So I just think uh, we can do it better. And the, and the interesting thing is there's overwhelming support from the property management profession for regulation. They want it. They, um, the people doing a great job, have their reputations um, harmed by those who aren't. We all all... know the story of a really dodgy property manager. Uh, We all know one, including me. But the good ones, as Wade says, worth their weight in gold. Yep. And I think we just want to have some standards and do a great job. And look, one in three people are identifying as renters. Mm. So, you know, that's not, that number's not reducing and it is highly likely we all know someone or we're a renter ourselves and we're going to interact with a property manager. So let's upskill and give them a Joe, great experience. Thank you. That's Joe Ray, the Institute's Head of Property Management. That's uh, from uh, the Real Estate Institute there. And my, oh my, oh my, oh my, you have spoken about road cones. The word has come <laughs> forth and it's not pretty. You do not agree what Simon Wilson said. You do not agree when Simon Wilson said it is a sign of progress. It's a sign of we, end of budget, isn't we, it? Will, <laughs> end of budget. We've got to spend this money, put some road cones out. Go. We will have more road cones uh, <laughs> later on in the program.